Sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, God, may the Spirit rest upon us. May he empower us. May he comfort us. May we grow in grace because you want us there. Lord, I ask that you anoint us today, this moment, and may your word be the one that shines. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So it had to be about 1982. What year was that? 1982. That was the same year my wife was born. I was already seven years old. So I'm seven years older than her, if you didn't catch that. It had to be around 1982, and I went to visit, in Tennessee, my uncle, my, my dad's brother, and they always had just a little bit more money than us, a little bit newer toys than us. And my cousin, who's four years older than me, showed me, he, he said, hey, Kent, come here. Look at this new thing we got. And he shows me this little box and this little thing, and he puts this thing into the box, and a movie starts playing. Now, what he called it was a beta. Do you remember beta? So he said, this is the future. And we watched a movie that I'm assuming was in the theaters not too long before, on the TV. And if you can go to the first slide there. On a very special day, because June 7 is maybe one of the most special days out of the year, especially June 7 of 1975. That's my birthday. But, <laughs> light bulb. So, on June 7th, they celebrate. You know there's a national day for everything, right? There's got to be a National Pew Day, National Carpet Day, there's National Ice Cream Day, there's National you know, Pretzel Day, there's National Everything. Well, they've given a day to the VCR. Now, if you are of that age, do you remember your first VCR? Do you remember those when you had the first VCR? And I remember getting that, and I remember that the 7-Eleven downtown, before there were even video stores gas stations and stuff would have a little video section and you would go in and you'd you know and you'd pay a buck or whatever and you'd get a a, a video and you'd put it in and you and you pop it out and and you'd get charged if you didn't what rewind you know you remember this it's not too long ago do you remember these days i mean just thinking do you remember i mean even cassettes you know, I remember making mixtapes, you know? You know you make, sometimes I remember, what, like, recording off the radio. Like, I didn't want to buy a tape, so I'd, I'd just record the radio, you know, I got, and, and listen, and then, oh, I got the song, and I have to listen to all the other song and all the talk until I get to that song. And I'd memorize it where it was. There was, a, like, a counter on the, on the tape players. Well, the VCR, I also remember, they, 
does, who, what does VCR stand for, by the way? Video cassette recorder. So what I really liked the VCR for was recording Saturday morning cartoons because I couldn't watch them. And Smurfs were on. Um, I think He-Man was on. Um, what else was on Saturday night? Now I don't even remember. Not that important. But the VCR changed the way we view. Now, here's the thing. For some of you that grew up in this tribe, in this way of thinking, you'll understand what I'm saying. There is a certain percentage of us that grew up believing that angels would not attend somebody who went into the theater. Okay, so there's a large percentage of, of this that, un, that at least know this. It's part of the history. So you could not go into the theater. But when the VCR came out, the stuff that was shown in the theater could be shown in the house. And because it's not a theater, it's all right. The principle totally went out the door because it's not the movie theater. Now, if you understand the context of when that text was, that quote was brought out about the theater, it's a different historical context. You understand in the 1800s, the theater there was both bar, brothel, everything was happening in the theater. But the principle was lost here. I remember even in our own home, parents saying, no, we do not go to the theater. Same, similar things. You can't, you know, angels won't attend you, those kinds of things. But the garbage that was brought home, and we were all on a faith journey. My dad was on a faith journey. But some of the horror films, some of the immoral stuff, that was brought in. So, so you're not going to go there to watch it, but you're going to bring the junk into your house. The principle was lost. And when Jesus gets to Matthew chapter 5, and he's talking about the law, I think this is exactly what he's saying. You have lost the principles of the law. Let's go to, uh, to the context first. I'm not, I'm not going to go to the text yet, but I want you to, to, to look at this. Do you remember what I said the context of the Sermon on the Mount is? One word. Come on, one word. What was it? It says, what's the first word of the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed, which literally means what? Happy. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to ask you again. How many of you want to be happy? Man, if you don't raise your hand, come on. How many of you believe God wants you happy? And if you don't raise your hand, the context of this sermon is I want to give you a formula of happiness. Do you really want to be happy? I mean, really, do you want to be happy? 
This is it. He's giving you the formula. If you want to be happy, this is it. If there was a book where you could be happy, and people are spending thousands upon thousands of books, and we have libraries about how to, self-help books, how to make yourself happy, Jesus says, you really want to know how to be happy. Here is your formula. The whole thing, the whole sermon, I'm giving you. The Sermon on the Mount is about happiness. Now let's go to our text, Matthew chapter 5. I should be there already. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19 says this. Still here, pages. Give you, okay, right now. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches the, commandment, the commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." What are the first three words? Do not think. Now, I don't know if that clicks to you, why Jesus is saying this. Do not think that I came to, do, to abolish the law. But I want you to try an experiment. I want you to go into a store and say this to the clerks and everybody up there. Say, do not think that I came to steal all your merchandise. Okay? Wait, better yet, say this. You walk into a plane. Do not think I came to bomb this plane. Why would somebody bring that up? Because they were already thinking it. Does that make sense? He is not bringing up something to put, to plant it in their heads. You know, like if I came into, a, you know, if I walked into a plane and said, do not think that I have come to bomb this plane or to hijack this plane, then the suspicions are, beep, you know, it's alerted. But that's what they've been saying. That's why he's saying this. Don't think this, even though I know you're already thinking it. Does that make sense? Don't think this. I know you're already thinking it. And here's the problem. The reason why he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law is because there were certain things that he was talking against. Okay? They would, he wouldn't just say it just to say it. He was saying things against their law, which they thought he was trying to abolish. Now, here's the problem. And we have it in all of our tribes and all of our congregations on what is sacred. You know this. What is sacred? To some people, the order of service is sacred. If I move offering down here or I 
take away this and put this, it is like I have committed a sin against the Lord. Or say we did this. What if we took out the pews and put seats instead? Do you know, I remember, I remember in the 90s when we started putting songs on the screen and sometimes people didn't use hymnals. And I remember people, church members saying, this is the beginning of the end. No, no, I, I know that sounds funny, but it was real. People really thought we were sinning by putting words there that were printed in that. They're, they're words. They're the same. If you're singing it, you're singing it. But they felt that way. In Jesus' time, what they were doing is they were lumping all of this in a law. People were adding and adding and adding, and they said that became law. Remember where Jesus, they, they come to Jesus and they said, hey, you're, 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 Disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. By the way, that was not about washing like with soap and hand. You need to wash, Cameron. Wash your hands before you eat. But they were thinking they were becoming un, that it was becoming unclean like inside because of it, like spiritually. And that became law. Now, does Scripture talk about this? No. Do you remember where Jesus also says, hey, you guys, you are, you are neglecting the real law to honor your parents by following Corbin. So you're sending money to the church, which comes right back into your pocket, and you're doing this, and you're saying, well, we've made a new law, sort of a loophole, but you're neglecting the real law. Well, all of this became law. Boom. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not right. But then he says, but don't think I am, I'm abolishing Moses' law, all right? I am not abolishing Moses' law. You've just added thousands upon thousands. I just wanted to share, just in Jesus' time. Now, I don't know if you've ever read part of the Babylonian Talmud or some of these Mishnah, but they have whole sections just about the Shabbat, the Sabbath. Just the Sabbath, you know, and, and these... And these scholars would talk back and forth about what should be, what is appropriate on the Sabbath. Well, it's believed, to sum it up, here's some of the things that were prohibited in the Sabbath at this time. Sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, that all makes sense because it's work-related. Uh, sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking. You know, baking was part of it, shearing wool, washing wool. Okay, I'm going to skip some of this. Trapping, slaughtering. Tying, untying, flaying, tanning, scraping hide, building, demolishing. Do you know that you could not build a fire or extinguish a fire on the Sabbath? And then there was a certain amount of travel time that was allowed. When I visited, this was, uh, it's been about 20 years ago. I visited a Orthodox Jewish synagogue. And what they did is they actually lived, there was a, they built a high-rise apartment complex right next to the synagogue for what reason? Sabbath travel. I can only go this far. And then, because we visited on Sabbath, 
we, we said, well, you know, can we turn on the lights? And they said, no, we actually in the morning, because we visited in the afternoon, they said in the morning, or if it's on Sabbath, not the eve, you know, we actually pay Gentiles to come and turn on the lights and turn them off. So the principle was lost. But you know that they used to do this all the time. I mean, they, the Gentiles were sort of the, what do you call it, a light, like a lackey or something that you could, you could pin stuff on. I mean, they even used to do this with the Gentiles during Passover. You know that, right? On Passover, you were supposed to get rid of all of the what in, in your house? The leaven, right? The yeast, the leaven. You get rid of all of it, but they didn't want to actually get rid of it. So what they would do is they would sell it to the Gentiles and let them hold it and then they would buy it back from the Gentiles right after Passover. People still do this. Maybe things were lost a little bit. By the way, we have done the same thing. We have added laws to what the law really is. With, you know, I, I know I'm just, the law was made for freedom. You guys realize this, right? The law was made for freedom. If there were no laws, we would be living in fear all the time. The law was made for freedom, but what was made for freedom back in that day, and we have even had our own history as Christians, it has become at times bondage. When you heap and heap and heap rules on people, it has become bondage. And Jesus is saying, no, we are going back to the original. It is about freedom. It is about joy. The law is good. So go back. It says, do not think that I can I'm going to read this again. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Uh, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter... By the way, that letter is probably, he's thinking Hebrew, would be the yod. But it, in some of yours, it says jot, right? The jot or a tittle. It, it's the smallest letter, almost it, not even the most minimum little letter would disappear. And everybody who says that it is, is the least in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know if you caught that. There was a wordplay there, right? If you're going to eliminate the, the least of the law, then you are the least in the kingdom of heaven. If you elevate it to the most, then you will become the greatest. Let's read on. Now this one is a bold statement because he says this in verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know if you understand what that statement meant. And I think sometimes we don't because we live in this context. But these people were considered the holiest of the holy of the holy. They were so concerned about the smallest thing not breaking the law that you looked, you looked so unholy compared to these people. 
And here Jesus makes a statement. He says, if, you, if your righteousness is not above theirs, you're not even going to be in the kingdom. Do you know what probably, it doesn't say it here, but you know what the, probably the cry is, what the disciples said later. Well, then who can make it? Who can make it? Who can make it? But he will say this. He will say a statement that says, if your righteousness does not surpass it, then you won't make it. But think about this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember this. I want, I know it's going to maybe be overkill. The Sermon on the Mount has a context. The Sermon on the Mount has a context. What he just said before is, blessed are those who are merciful. So if you want to be more righteous than the Pharisees, you will be merciful. Because they weren't. They were more concerned about the checklist than mercy on people. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. So if you want to surpass the, the Pharisees, you will be a peacemaker. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You will be poor in spirit. That is the context here. You want to surpass their righteousness, which is easy to do? Here's the hardest one. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for God's sake, for my name's sake. He says, you want to surpass? You will be persecuted. Not you, you might. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. Now here, Jesus, we're, we're going to go forward a little bit here. So Jesus, after this, he goes into the fulfilling of this law. And he says this, and I'm not going to read the whole part. We're just going to gloss over it. I am going to read five verses. Because he keeps saying this. You have heard that it was said uh, to the people long ago, or you have heard of old. And the first one he says is, you have heard it was said long ago, do not murder. Or in some of your translations, it probably says, do not kill. And anyone who murders will be subject to, just, to judgment. So he says, you have heard since you were a little kid, and your parents heard since they were a little kid, and their parents heard from, since they were a little kid, that you are not supposed to murder. Does everybody agree that we should not murder? Yes. Amen. But he says, there's so much more to that. You've heard not murder. But do you know that it is murder when you are so angry with your brother and you will not reconcile relationship? So he said, if you are at that point, you must leave your offering. If you're taking an offering to church, doing a holy thing, if you're coming and you're singing for church, if you're coming and you're preaching for church, if you are telling children's story, if you are coming and contributing at Sabbath school, whatever you're doing, if you're coming here, you're paying your tithe, but you are not willing to reconcile relationships, you have no clue what the gospel is about because it is all about reconciliation. He's saying if you are more concerned with the checklist of justice than about relationships, 
you miss all the point, and it is as if you have murdered your brother. We do this. Some married couples are great at this, right? You know, I would rather, I would rather love my wife than be right, and I am very rarely right. But you know that there, some people will fight because I know I'm right. I know that I'm right. And it is more important to them, whether in their marriage relationship or in their family relationship, it is more important to them that they are right than that the relationship is healed. When I was really young, actually, no, it was before I was born. <laughs> so I was young. I was, I was in the womb because it, did, it was based on me. Um, so many of you know my dad uh, got my mom pregnant pre-marriage he got her pregnant pre-marriage and he uh, he talked to his older brother about this and his older brother said you need to leave that woman you don't need a ready-made family by the way my mom already had a daughter from another guy so you need to leave that's that it will just be a headache for you so go so my dad left my mom pregnant with one a four-year-old already there and he was living with my uncle now my uncle is the older brother and in filipino culture older what other older brother says especially when dad's not around is law so he stayed there but he felt the spirit saying you need to go back you need to go back so one day, because my dad was afraid of his older brother and his sister-in-law, he, while they were at work, he packed up his little belongings and he went back. His older brother would not talk to him until about that time with the VCR. That was the first time that they had seen each other. So that's, what, eight years? Eight years, this one incident separate a family. And they were the closest out of brothers. They were the closest. And because of their pride, they would not talk to each other for eight years. I'm just going to say this. If this is part of your family, reconcile. That's way more important than being right. Reconciled. The whole gospel is about reconciling families, reconciling our family with God. Reconcile. The next one. You have heard it said in verse 27, do not commit adultery. How many of you agree that we should not commit adultery? I heard like four amens. I'm praying for this church. <laughs> Amen. I believe in it. Anna, I believe in this. And I believe that you all should believe it. I believe in do not committing adultery. But he says, but that's not it. It's not about you just physically sleeping with another person. If you lust after another woman in your heart, you have done the same. Do you realize 
where we are in history now, with what you can see online. People are secretly addicted to this stuff. Now, I talked to somebody who is a relationship, I'm, I don't, I don't want to call him an expert, but, but a relationship uh, more knowledgeable than me. Let's say it that way. He, he was more knowledgeable than me because he had done research on this. Now, I don't know, and I might have told you, some of you guys about this, but I don't know if you realize this, it's believed psychologically, correct me if I'm wrong, if you've studied this psychology, for you guys that are smarter in psychology than me, relational psychology. We are created to grow intimately with somebody. Intimate with people, but there are different levels of intimacy. But there is one person that we, are, that, that, that we can bond with on an intimate level. So what this man was saying in his research, he was finding out that our body, our brain, allows us about three to four bonding intimate relationships like that. So if you are a marriage relationship and that doesn't work out, boom, you know, then, then it, it sort of allows for that. But after three or four, your brain starts saying, I am not made to, to be intimate with these many people. So what actually it does, your brain says, no more. I am going to start putting walls so you cannot become intimate with these people anymore. It starts putting walls. So you will have problems in intimacy because there are too many intimate partners. Now, what he started to say baffled me after this. He said, and the problem is, in our day and age, is that this is a visual for men it is a visual to brain stimulation so what ends up happening is if they see a face whether they are physically in front of them or on a screen i hope you're catching me and they climax they automatically bond to that face did you catch that well if you are addicted to this I am telling you, you are not limited to three or four people. And so what ends up happening is you're bonding intimately with them, and then your brain says, no, 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 that's done. We're, we're not bonding anymore intimately. We're not going to do this. And families are suffering because of this. And wives are wondering, and I'm not just saying it's just wives. But, some, but, you know, marriage partners are wondering, why can I not have a truly intimate relationship with my husband or wife? Well, I have bonded with these other people, and my brain is saying no more. And marriages are falling apart because of this. And, and men, I've counseled with men, that like premarital counseling, where they say, okay, I did struggle with this, you know, and, I, and you know, I, I do still do this, but once I'm married, it's done. Come on, women. You believe that line? Once I'm married, it's done. I'm done with them. I'm done with those ladies. I'm done with that, what's on the screen. I'm done with it. I believe in the grace of God. But if some man is promising that it's just done because of that marriage license, 
I don't know, I'll get more counseling. He's saying the root of this is deeper. It's about intimacy and not just physically lying with somebody. That's not the only thing that's going to ruin a relationship. If you are looking to other people for that intimacy, whether they're on a screen, whether they're in some kind of whatever that relationship is, it is the same as you lying in bed with them. Are we clear? Number three, verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard from a long time ago, your parents and your grandparents, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear on everything just so that people trust you. Well, I swear on this Bible. I will not lie, and I'm going to keep my oath. I swear on this church. I swear on Rod Metcalf's life. I do. And he says, no, 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 no. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your character be your oath. If you deal in business, and I know some of you guys do in here, are you a man of integrity or a woman of integrity? It frustrated me. I used to work with, uh, with somebody. I'll just say that. I used to work with somebody, and they were subcontractors, and we would do jobs, and I knew how much those jobs really cost. And I knew how much he would mark them up. And I knew that I would see that with some people that he liked more, he would mark them down a little bit more. The same exact job. Are you a person of integrity? Is your character your oath? That's what he's saying here. Your character. Let your character be your oath. Let it speak for you. You don't have to swear on everything in the world. Let your character be the one that swears for you. Five, uh, four. We're at four. It says, you have heard from old, verse 38. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Now this verse, I think probably out of all of them, has been taken the most out of its biblical context. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Originally, this did not mean revenge. Do you guys understand that? It didn't mean revenge. Actually, I'm going to read just a couple of verses to you. Uh, it's, it's mentioned both in, or in all three, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But we're going to read the Leviticus one because I think that's the one that I want to read. So uh, go to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus 24. I can get there. And we're going to start with verse 17. And he says this, If anyone takes a life of a human being, he must be put to death. Anyone who takes a life of, a, of someone's animal must uh, make restitution life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor, whatever he has done must be done to him, Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has injured the other, so he, so he is to be injured. 
Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a man must be put to death. You are to have the same law for the alien and the native born. I am the Lord. So I can understand why that was interpreted as uh, retribution. But what he was really saying, if you read what some of the, the Hebrew scholars think, he was saying, all of us are same value. My tooth, whether I am a slave or a blue-collar worker or white-collar worker or a foreigner, a Gentile, all of us are equal value. Does that make sense? Treat each other as though they were the treasure from God himself. I'm saying this so strongly that if you think so lightly to take somebody else's life, then you should have your life taken. You know, I preface this, I am so proud to be an American. I am very proud to be an American. When I would go, I've spent mission, you know, I've been on mission trips, short-term, long-term. I've been proud to be an American. I will tell you, though, when you look at our history, it is not all sunshine and rainbows. Do you realize a lot of the monuments we hold, you know, buildings, railroads, were on the backs of people that we thought were of less value than us. And I'm saying us, you know, I might have been one of those. You know, I know that sometimes we talk black-white, but you know that our railroad system, Chinese built a lot of our railroad system. And they were sub-value to other races. And the original part here is, don't ever think you're of more value than somebody else. Your tooth is of the same value of their tooth. Your eye and their eye are the same. But what they started interpreting, as, as some people later interpreted in ours, is that, well, if you do something to me, well, then I get to do the same thing back to you. I mean, kids do this all the time. It's not fair. You ever hear that? Bill, did you ever hear that about your daughters? It's not fair. You know, they did this to me. Well, I should get to do that back. To, you know, one hits me. You know, I love it when, when they accidentally get hit. You know, like they're just playing around and get hit. And then first response, I want to hit back. And it's not fair if it doesn't. It wasn't about that at all. Last one here. It says, you have heard, verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. By the way, I don't know if we quite understand this, but in Semitic cultures, meaning ones that are Arabic-based or, or Jewish, you know, Jewish, Muslim cultures, there is a thought. Now, I don't know if you know this, that, you, that there are two separate standards. You are not to lie if you are Muslim. You are not to lie if you are Jewish. But it is okay at times to deceive the infidel if it serves a higher purpose. 
or it is okay to serve to deceive the gentile if it serves a higher purpose so you live by two different standards and he says no 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 that's not right he says what you do to the gentile should be the same that you do to the jew and what you do to the jew is the same to the gentile they are both human beings this is the essence of the law and see here's the thing go to the next slide the whole thing is about value do you value people if you want to be happy going back to the first part happy if I summarize it happy are those who value everybody as valuable by the way Filipinos I got some Filipinos here how do you say I remember the law is based on love right how do you say I love you in, in Tagalog Mahal kita. See, there's Filipinos in here. Those are my blood. Filipinos, mahal kita. Now, what does mahal literally mean? Okay, well, we translate it as love, but if you say something is mahal, pricey, expensive. It literally means expensive. It means of greatest value. A lot of languages use that. They actually say if something is expensive, they say, you know, they use the word expensive towards love. So the word in, in Tagalog literally doesn't mean I love you like feeling-wise. Not, that's not the origin. It means I place a high value on you. You are worth so much to me. This is what Jesus is saying. You are of highest value. And you need to treat other people as if they are of highest value. You want to be happy? That's how you do it. You want to be the salt and the light? This is how you do it. It's all in the context. And what this means is, next part, is that there's no double standards. No double standards. Everybody is equal in the eyes of the Lord. I remember growing up, Sad to say, and, and some of you know this from your history. And it's not our history, it's the world's history. Men and women have lived in double standards. They've lived in double standards. When I was in Korea, they actually have numbers on their licenses. Number one is men, number two is women. This is how it goes. Men are one, women are two. I remember growing up, even in my home, I could stay out later. I had later curfews. My dad actually would promote that I would date lots of people. But for my sister, it was the opposite. Earlier curfews. I don't want you dating anybody till you're 38. That same law applies to Madison. <laughs> and Jaden, but that's because I don't know who's going to... No. <laughs> I love Jaden. But it's, there was double standards. In our nation's history, we had standards for white people and black people. Let's be honest. We have double standards. We place higher value on some people than others. And all Jesus is saying is, if you want to be truly happy and not have to live by two different sets of laws according to how valuable they are, then they're all the same.
There's no double standard. Everybody is equally valued. And that value, that price, was Jesus' life. That's the value of people. And if you know the routine, as God told Moses to tell Aaron to the people, Yevareka Adonai Vayishmareka, Yaer Adonai Panavalecha Vichweneka, Yisa Adonai Panavalecha, Vayasem Lecha Shalom, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, I just ask that a double portion of your spirit is poured upon us. May we truly value people like you value people. And may people see that we are disciples because of our love for them. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.